Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. I totally just did that. My bad. Not the sound guy's fault. My bad. Uh, <laughs> but hey, church, good to be here, MBIC. Are you guys happy to be here this morning? Yeah? That is good. That is good. We have an amazing, uh, you're, you're an amazing group of people. I love spending time with you, and I'm just excited to get in the Word uh, together this morning. Uh, we have a good, good God. Um, can we just give him praise? That song. Um, man. Singing along just there, just now, just thinking about just how good God is and uh, just how much um, he means to me and to my family and uh, how much of my story is just anchored and bent on who he is and how much he radically changed everything. And uh, this morning, um, we're going to get into that, but I just wanted to share, man, singing that, I hope that you went there with God and, and, and shared with him your heart, your affection, and poured it out in worship. But um, if you would, let's, let's do the same here by opening the word. Let's show him our affection. Let's open up the word. Somebody make some noise how grateful we are to have the Bible available to us. Here at NBIC, we don't ever take that for granted. Amazing. Our kids have the word of God, right? And, and they're getting taught that right now. Thankful for Annie and the team that are doing that. They're opening the word together. And uh, we're going to walk through Mark. We're going to continue to do this. We're in Mark chapter 11. If you're opening your Bibles, turn in there with me or on your app. Flip over to Mark chapter 11. We're going to be in verse 12. We're, we're jumping over uh, 1 through 11 again because of uh, I'm going to finish out here at the end of the summer. Uh, we'll have our outdoor service on September 4th and we'll begin a new series there. But we're walking through Mark and seeing the Gospels and, and seeing that this news that Jesus brings is the best news, right? It's not just the good news because there's, there's good news and then there's the good news, which is the best news, which is Jesus. And so we're jumping into verse 12. Here, so we're going to read this. Um, you can follow along, read, read along on your own Bible there. It goes like this. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And then, and they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who brought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? You have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they, were, they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. 
And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. This is a portion that I think is important for us to pause on. Maybe you've read this before. You've heard it in Sunday school. Maybe this portion, you know, this is where Jesus gets angry. You know, you get to see Jesus passionate and uh, him kind of let his humanness out. And, uh, and that's one way to interpret this and look at that. And I just wanted to pause here because I think whenever, you know, either something's repeated or where I see Jesus get uh, heated, upset, or excited, I'm saying, hey, God, there's something to pause on here. I need to be excited like you are. Like, I want to be like you. So if something's exciting you or if something's like bringing your passion out, like, what is that? I, I want to know more. So pausing here, uh, because of that, I think it's an important thing, and there's several things to catch. But to catch them all, I just wanted to give us uh, a look here, because of where they are. I want to look at this. This is the temple at Jesus' time, the best rendition I could find for us to look at. Uh, and you, looking at this, you might see a few places that uh, you would think of. This would be uh, here into the Holy of Holies. It's about 60 feet uh, to that ceiling height right there. And uh, over here, you would see the corner, this corner of the building right here, which is the lower left-hand side there, um, that if you're looking at the front, uh, on the lower left-hand side right here is where Jesus was tempted. That would be the corner of the building where Jesus was tempted. If you're on this side, I've got to point at each screen. So right there, Jesus was tempted by the enemy to jump off. That's about 400 feet, 450 feet, where Jesus was standing on the edge there. If you're thinking, well, what is that? That's like 14 stories, right? Am I wrong? Or is that more than 14? I mean, that's 40 stories. 40 stories, yeah. So 40 stories up, that's, that's, four, sorry, that's 14 stories. This would be about 40 stories, like all the way down here to this bottom piece. So that's a, that's a huge drop. This is where Jesus... This corner right here, uh, this would be an area that would be of interest if you're thinking about like all the stories that we're hearing about the temple. A lot of things are happening in this, this area right here. They walk in. These would be the front steps where you might have some people sitting out waiting for people who have the desire to give to the poor, right? They would, they would be maybe in here or down even lower on the steps. Um, and then in this corner would be probably where Jesus sat with his disciples, maybe in here or to the side, where Jesus sat and they watched uh, people giving their money. And Jesus made the comment about the widow's might, that those that were wealthy came and their coins, when they threw them in the horned mechanism they had there, they threw them in and the coins would roll down. And so the wealthy people, you could hear the coins were weighty, heavy metal. And her coin was a fraction of a penny. And Jesus said, this is all she has, right? And he got excited about the, the widow's might, right in here, watching them give the, the tithe or the bringing into the storehouse. And so this area is pretty significant a place where we hear a lot of what Jesus was doing and maybe he had a place where he sat uh, in here. And many people would say that uh, in the corners of these areas, if you look at the temple, um, that would be probably where people congregated. If there was a scribe or somebody that was, that was bringing uh, a word or they might have things to say, they would gather around uh, and people would, would gather around. But in this area here, we're, this is where we are hearing Jesus is in this area most probably flipping tables. We just read how he's flipping tables and he's enraged. And there's the, the people there with pigeons. There's people there with sacrifices that you could buy. There's uh, things that you can get if you wanted to change some money. If you had you know, a higher earning, you know, wanted a lot of coins or whatever, you could go there and exchange 
your coins to be the ones that were right uh, for the region as well. There would be different um, monies for different regions. So they would have the ability to change their money. And so this, this would be the area we're talking about. And this uh, moment in time where Jesus is uh, being, uh, you could say, a little, by the onlookers, a little crazy. Like, what is going on? Like, you're acting um, strange. What's, what's going on? And so that area, um, Jesus said that Jesus and the other uh, places we would this, read this account in Matthew, for example, that Jesus actually sat down and made a whip uh, and, and had uh, anger. And so I'm looking at this scene and I'm thinking about the disciples as they are putting together this question that we've asked now for, for months. Who is this Jesus? Right? And for them, that's a very important question. For us, it's a very extremely important question. But you can imagine if you were in the person and you had Jesus walking with you, right? and you're watching Jesus do these things, the question in this moment is very important. Like You might have been following Jesus to this point and thinking of Jesus in one way, this peaceful, calm Jesus is now not so peaceful. And what does that mean? You just watched Jesus curse a fig tree, right? And what does that mean? Jesus, what are you cursing, man? Like, what's up with that? And when he's flipping the tables here and making a scene, it also reminds me that these disciples were debating in their mind, like, where am I going to be in relation to Jesus? Is he going to put me right next to him when he's sitting on the throne? Or am I going to be down the line? You know, and they're debating their worth according to Jesus and their value. And so you can imagine the discussion that's going on when Jesus starts flipping tables. You know, like, you know what? You, you could probably stand next to Jesus. Like, you, they're starting to give up, right? They're starting to give up. They're, they're next to God. Maybe I want to be like third down the row and Jesus is like this, that this is how he's going to rule. Uh, maybe the, the context and the thoughts towards who Jesus is are actually being stretched in this moment. If they weren't, I would be shocked. Because these guys are on looking, watching, and even the crowd, the Bible says, is astonished. You ever been astonished? Like you've been witness to something that truly shocked you, astonished you, made you go, whoa. There's been some significant things in life, and I can remember them today, like things that just wowed me. I think I can remember watching 9-11. Most people know where they were, right? You can remember that moment. It wowed you. It astonished you. Like... This can't be real. Are you getting my point here? There's an astonishing is a powerful, strong word. You remember when you, where you were when something astonished you. I can remember what was going on when my first son came into the world and, and he had red hair. And I was like, that is wow. I mean, it was a bright red. Imagine that. I was like, this dude's going to have an awesome beard one day, right? When you're astonished by something, when you're wowed, you remember that moment. And these guys are in this moment. It's been written. I remember Peter's recalling this and Mark's writing down, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this is something paused on and they come back to, and remember the, the conversation of the fig tree, significant, because they begin this thought with it, and they end this thought with a fig tree. And so it made me ponder and think, like, 
There's some, there's some real debate going on and some strong thoughts being put together by the disciples and those around. And they're possibly thinking what I might be thinking. I'm going to put, I like to put myself in that scene and just wonder for a second, what would I have been thinking? I might have been, if I was one of those disciples, I might have been thinking, um, this is not the Jesus I signed up for, bro. Like, this is not what I thought we were going to Jerusalem for. The reason I say that is because, remember, one day earlier, Mark chapter 11, verse 1, we covered it at Easter, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a cult, right? And everybody's thinking, this is the king. Like, the king is here. They start taking palm branches and laying them down. They take off their cloaks. They're laying those down like, come on, Jesus. We're ready for a king. We need a savior. We need a rescuer. Like, down with Rome, right? Like, these guys are ready. They're excited for Jesus to take, rule, rule this land, put those Romans where they belong, like, suppress them, oppress, like, push them down because we've been pushed down. Now it's our turn. And they're thinking, this is the change we've all been waiting for. We get to sit up on the throne and then we get to look down on everybody else. This is going to be awesome. You guys remember that moment, right? Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. I'm not lying. Like, it's right there. They're excited. They had a picture of who Jesus was meant to be. Well, if you want to politically like, make your way up the ladder, you guys have seen this. I don't have to you know, tell you. You watch this happen every time there's an election. Right? Everybody tries to put their best foot forward because they want to be voted in. Jesus was in a very hot political moment in, in history. So flipping the tables in the, t- in the temple, like getting on the bad side of the wealthy money changers and those that were selling things is like, the opposite of what you should be doing. Like you should be going to those money changers and like telling people, hey, come to this money changer. Hey, come over here to this guy. He's the best. This is the best pigeon. That's what they, the political people were doing. Jesus is going in there with a whip, whipping their animals, shooing them out, flipping the table. It's like, get out of here. This isn't what it's about. I don't think Jesus wanted their vote. I don't know about you. Like, for real. Like, do you think he was trying to win their vote? And then they get done with that scene and they're walking back the way they came, right? And they see the fig tree withered. And Jesus confirms that, yes, he cursed this tree. And then implies that through prayer, you can ask anything in his name as we follow on down through that scripture and it will be done. Asks us to have faith, dependence on God. If you're watching and walking through Mark and you get to this point, it would be right to say something has shifted. Jesus' focus has got more intense. There's something shifting, and I think we need to pay attention as we go from Mark 11.1 1 through 11, and now verse 12, we see Jesus that Jesus in verse 1 through 11 was the Jesus they wanted. Political, celebrated, wanted, excited about, right? This guy is awesome. Jesus feeds us. Jesus says something and crowds come to him, right? But the Jesus they got, verse 17, 
And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Not the powerful speech that brings the crowds. Not politically correct. Not making friends with everyone. Jesus opted to sit things straight rather than seeing and saying the things that people wanted to hear. Jesus was not what the disciples had anticipated or maybe had been led to believe he would be. 1 John 2 describes the Jesus they got. 1 John chapter 2 is an amazing little piece of scripture that if you overlay into this moment over what we see in the temple at this time, you're going to see the Jesus that walks on the scene here in John chapter, uh, 1 John 2 verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Very strong word, advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And if you overlay that scripture right on what we saw right there in the temple, you get a picture of the desire of Jesus, what he's trying to do, right? What he is about. And maybe you wouldn't miss it if we had this. Obviously, he, you know, John has the ability to look back like we do on the scene, knowing that Jesus is going to atone for our sins, going to the cross, paying the penalty of my sin on the cross, bled and died. His blood covers my sin, and I now have power over that sin. And so John just calls it out. Like, I guess if you don't get it, if you missed it, let me tell you what Jesus was about. He's the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice. He is our advocate. Now let's go back to the temple in this moment and see Jesus, the Jesus we got. Jesus we got walking into that room. He is the righteous one, the atoning one. And so he walks into this place that he's been many, many times before. And he sees the things that he's seen many, many times before in the temple. And he says, enough in this moment. Enough is enough. You're getting it wrong. Let me make sure I, I help you with this. Like instead of judgment, Jesus corrects. And now let me tell you, as I read the, the tree withered, right, and cursed outside, and I see him coming to that moment and flipping the tables, my heart is truly grateful for Jesus flipping the tables. As the atoning one, he could have come in and he could have judged everybody in that moment and everybody would have gone, Because you know, when you're in the presence of God and he judges you, his wrath, his judgment is not what you want. That means death for you in the presence of the Holy One of Israel, the, the God of of all things, the creator, the eternal one in your presence bringing judgment is absolutely not where you want to be. And so you might have looked at this moment, hey, Jesus is angry and he's judging them for it. That would be wrong because he didn't judge them. If he judged everybody in that room, they'd all be dead. You are judged for your sins. The only way that you come, or you don't come out of that moment, the only thing that happens is death. Because the wages of sin is, and so aren't you grateful in this moment? He did that with the tree, but he didn't do it in the temple. He loves us too much. 
But we get the contrast of this tree outside as Jesus walking past it, this fruitless tree that didn't come through and do what it was created to do. And he went to the temple and he looks at his people who were doing something they're not created to do in the temple, doing stuff that the temple was not created to do. And he says, this is wrong. And so instead of judging his people, he comes in and he cleans house and he corrects and he brings grace and he brings the love and he brings acceptance. Him angry, flipping tables, getting like whipping animals and pushing them out and getting his voice loud where everybody's so like, whoa, this is shocking. Is Jesus correcting, not judging. Anybody that looks on this thing and says, man, there's, there's the real Jesus. Like he's a judge. You missed it verses before. Yes, you saw a side of Jesus that he can bring on you and I and chooses not to. And you and I, looking on at the scripture, should be filled with wonder, awe, and thanks. That this good God who is almighty, all-powerful, perfect, and wonderful in every way holds back his wrath through Jesus Christ and brings love and grace and acceptance to everyone in that moment, not of what they're doing, but says, you know what? You all need a chance to turn from your sins, so let me correct you. Let me show you what this house was built for. Let me clean it out. What it was for was to create a path, an entryway, a place for you to come into the presence of the Holy One. And it happens once a year through one person I'll select, and they can come into that Holy of Holies, and they can Put on an offering for your sin and the blood of that offering will be spilled and your sin, I can turn away from from your sin for a time until the one comes who will be the sacrifice for all. And that sacrifice is now in the temple being like, guys, I'm it, I'm it. I'm going to do this forever. I'm going to take all the stuff that's between you and God and the way that you can come in and have community with Him. I'm going to remove it all. Every obstacle, everything that could get in the way, I'm taking it. And He flips all the tables over so that we have a moment, like they had a moment in there to see God's correction and the, the grace that He comes with. And so we could look back and say, man, overlapping like the grace. Jesus is it, and this is what he wants to do in our lives. You say, Bryce, well, how do you jump from, from the temple to our lives pretty easily? Romans 6, 6, you guys, turn with me to the Bible. Look at this. This is powerful stuff. We know, for we know, come on, I hope you know this, that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That's your old life. It's done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. His body on the cross means that your sin is paid for. When you put your faith in God and you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he did what he did, you believe he atoned for your sin, right? He did all that for you, creating a pathway for you to have a relationship with God. That's awesome. Do we know him? And do we know that he did that for us? We have to be so careful we don't miss this. 
So the, the, the people were onlooking at Jesus at this moment, those that were closest to him, were hoping Jesus would fix their situations. They got a Jesus who fixed the sin that changed how they related with God. He's no longer behind the curtain. His presence and the power is now to be known by all of us and we become the temples of the Holy Spirit. And Romans continues to explain this to us that when Christ died, and you would know the story if you've been through Esau, when Jesus died there on the cross in the temple, in that place, the Holy of Holies was a curtain. And all the way up to the top, 60 feet up, that curtain was torn from the top to the bottom and it opened and the presence of God that was in there came out. And we know now that we became temples of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Someone say amen. Right? That is what we have indwelling in us. That same power that raised Christ from the dead two days later. Right? Over that time, that presence was even bringing other bodies out of the grave. You can read it right there in the Bible. A freaky time to be alive. Come on. I don't want to be around no cemetery and someone digging their way out of a grave. That's weird. But the Bible tells us this is what happened. The power of God came out of that, that temple. And we became temples of the Holy Spirit. And I don't have time to really go through all of those scriptures. I, I wish I could spend the next three hours just going through like how we become temples of the Holy Spirit. And Paul does a great job of, of describing that to us and what that means to us. That we have power over sin and death. And so still, those there that witnessed it still missed it. And the question as I watch and I look on at myself and I look at this scripture, I'm saying, God, I don't want to miss it. Please help me understand like, what's going on here. I don't want to miss what you have to say in these pages, God. I'm becoming a temple of the Holy Spirit and as I have the Holy Spirit in me, God, help me to understand what that means today because you didn't show up the way they wanted. You did something different. The people that were walking with you missed it. They wanted Jesus who judged sinners and they got a Jesus who dealt with the sin. They really did. They had a Jesus in front of them. They were hoping that Rome and those who, people who were not following him would then be oppressed and they would be up like this and be able to say, you're wrong, we are right. That's the Jesus they hoped showed up on the scene. And you might look at the scene and say, this is what Jesus did. And I would say, you're dead wrong. Because if he was judging them, they'd all be wiped out and dead and they'd have no opportunity. I mean, there's no way to look at it any other way because he did it with the tree and then he didn't do it with the people. He didn't come to judge. Even John says that, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life, right? Well, it continues and said he did not come into the world to judge it, to condemn it. He came that you might have a life freedom. And so when we look at Jesus in the moment right here, he did not come to judge these people. He gave them a second chance. I pray with all that I am for us as a church that we'd be people of a second chance, that we'd be second chance people all the time. That Christ in us, the Holy Spirit, the temples of the Holy Spirit, we are. That people around us, they never feel the judgment. They might feel correction, but they don't get judgment because we're all about being people of the second chance. 
and third, fourth, fifth, sixth, because the grace of God that we received, we extend to others. They wanted a Jesus who destroyed the Roman rule and restore Israel's dominance. They got a Jesus who destroyed the stronghold of sin and gave them the power over it personally. They wanted a Jesus who judged sin or they got a Jesus who dealt with our sin. And I'm so, so thankful, even though I know for myself I can get trapped in this place, that I'll have eyes that see a reason for me to be judgmental of others. But I'm so thankful that God gave me the Holy Spirit internally to move me from being a judgmental person to being a person who looks at the word and sees a mirror and desires to be corrected. And the Holy Spirit is in me to do that correction. That now I don't look with judgmental eyes at the world, but I look at the word of God and I see his correction and I say, Jesus, I want it. Less of me and more of you. I need correction. God, I see others not following you, but God, I see in my own self stuff that's not lined up. I see tables that need flipping, God, and, and I want you to come and flip them over. I want to be your son. I want to be recognized as your son. I don't want to be anything else. So flip up the tables, God. Remove every obstacle that's in my life that doesn't, doesn't look like you and isn't supposed to be there. God, come and flip my tables and sit some tables for you to come and sit at, God, because that's ultimate, man. If you come in my life and just do community with me, sit at the table, let's eat Jesus, that's what I want. God, the invitation is there. I know you laid it out for me and I'm, I'm reciprocating. God, come and sit with me and let's do communion. I think this is the cry of his heart in this moment that we'd get rid of anything unclean because it hurts our relationship with him. It's disappointing and sad for the father when a child lives below the potential and he's saying, will you just get rid of that thing? It's down in the corner, in the shadows. It's not meant to be there. For me, just looking at the scripture, the, the, the impression that I get in this is, is that we got to shift, we got to shift from our to-do list as believers into some urgency. You ever have a to-do list that someone else is supposed to do for you, right? And you watch that list stay there for a long time? So there's some wives nodding. All right, just chill out, all right? <laughs> Relax. And you think to yourself, how am I going to move that into urgent? And I think this is what happens with Jesus, is that he's seeing the to-do list in our hearts and lives, and he wants to move some things into urgent. There's some things in your life you need to get, you need to get rid of. And it's no longer like, hey, when you come around to it, he's saying like, it's now urgent. Don't, don't be okay with it sitting in your life, in the shadows. Psalm 72, the psalmist goes through this process of writing out like his expression to the Father as I believe he was moving things from to do to urgent. And when we do, we really do this thing that Jesus really did is he moved us from looking at him as what we want him to do and really just, hey God, do whatever you want. You're king, not me. 
Psalm 72, 1 starts out like this, Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit, the righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. He's a praying and he's really putting this out to, to God saying, this is what I want the king to be like. And he's really, if this is Psalmist David writing, he's saying, this is what I desire to be as a king. But he's also giving reverence to the king saying, this is really your deal. May the king be like this is like saying, I am yours. Rule as you want and you wish in my heart and my life. I might want to rule this way. I might want to be a dictator, God, but I know what you want. So there's a shift that this king realizes he needs as he sits on the throne. You and I sit on our own thrones and I think there's some shift from to do to urgent. It first starts with just that, that he needs to be king of your life. And we talked about that last week, so I'm gonna move on to this. If he's king in your life, there's three things that are gonna happen that I think we all need to be thinking about today to move into urgent realm. And that is first this, that we always, that we're always in community with God. Move it out of the sometimes into always. Always in community with God, ready for him to continue his work on me. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God desires to be with you in your life. The Holy Spirit is in you, in your life, if you're his, right? And he desires not just that you go do your own thing, but that you become his handiwork. That he's working stuff out in you so you can be used and be like a conduit for the Holy Spirit to work. We're gonna talk more about that soon in Ephesians and, and, and really unpack what Ephesians means. This fall, actually. I'm really excited about that because if we are in communion with God, that is an actual outworking of that, is that we become his handiwork. Next is this, that we, we need to be available. Available for others. Jesus models this so well, but when we step out of being available for other believers to challenge our faith walk, we become islands. Proverbs 6.23 says this, for this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way of life. You know, I don't think this is an easy one for us, but I think it's an absolute thing that needs to go from the to-do list as, as followers of Christ into the urgency matter for Christ. If you're not in a place where you know other believers will stand up to what you're saying as true and say, hey, hang on a minute, let me ask you some questions about that, you're probably on an island in your faith and it's not healthy. If you're stuck on what you believe and say, this is absolute, and the people around you in faith maybe have some questions about it. Maybe if it's not a main thing, you might want to hold it a little loosely and say, okay, God, it's not to say I'm wrong. It's just to say, God, I hold it loosely. I'm in your word and I'm listening to the believers around me I trust. And I'm going to be in a place where I can be corrected. Scripture tells us this, we have to be in a place of being willing to be corrected if we're going to be truly in the presence of God, following Him as He wants. I didn't wake up this morning, though, going, yippee, I want to be corrected today, Jesus. Come on with it. I didn't. And yet I see the posture of Christ 
in the temple going, maybe I should. Maybe that's an urgent matter for me to come to him and make sure, God, there's nothing like, am I off in who you are in some way, any way? Is there anything between me? and Is there pride? Is there, is there a sin that, that I'm unaware of, God? Is there a table sitting in my life in the shadows and maybe I've just got so accustomed to it, I'm good with it, but you hate it. And so urgent matter, ding, 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 Correct me, Lord, please. Church, we, we gotta get this one right. If I'm in community with God and I say that's just enough, you might as well move to a monastery on a mountain. But you know God's called us to live in community with others, right? And so part of that is being open to correction. And the next is this, that I actively pursue Big, big words here. Opportunities to share Jesus with those who are seeking. All of these things, being in community with God, available for other believers to challenge my faith, and actively pursuing opportunities to share Jesus with those who are seeking. I believe is what Paul was talking about in Romans 1. Where he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is... It is this, it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. He is confident and he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though it goes against those people he loves who are of the law and not of the gospel of grace. They hated him for believing in this gospel. And he said, you know what? I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It is the power unto salvation and you need it in your life. And he shared it freely. And if we are not ready to share this freely, there are probably some things in our heart that are not real confident, right? There's probably some shame and guilt we're carrying and Jesus came to set you free from it. And if you're not walking in that freedom, you're probably ashamed of the gospel in some area. God came to flip the table and say, man, be free. Get the gift, receive it from me. And if you're not walking in that gift, you're not confident in your faith today. You're not confident that God is coming through for you in your life and making a way for you to have community with God. Spend some time there this morning. I'll tell you, my confidence is in this. It's in this little bottom corner. I wanna go back to the slide that we had up at the front of the service here. Right here on that little knob, right below the temple, you see that little brown thing right there, right at the bottom of the corner, right, right here. That little knob is called Calvary. Unsuspecting, dirty little hill. Where my Jesus, my Savior, the creator of the universe, took whips for hours until his bone was showing, put on and carried a wooden cross from this city out of the gates, up that hill, and then dropped that cross into a hole. And on Calvary, on that little nothing hill, my Savior said, it is finished. And he paid 
for all of my sin, even though I didn't deserve him doing that for me. And while his blood poured out over that cross, all of my sin was covered. All the stuff I would do in the future to hurt him and go against him. He said, you know what? I'm not judging you. I'm gonna give you a second chance. I'm gonna give you this opportunity to put your faith and your trust in me, no matter how much you do in your life that's wrong and against me. You will always have the opportunity, Bryce, to come back and get a second chance. Bring your life before me, before this cross at Calvary and say, I'm sorry, repent before me and my blood covers your sin and you have then eternal life and you have freedom and I'm gonna come. I'm gonna do another thing that's awesome. I'm gonna come and the Holy Spirit's gonna dwell in you and give you power over the sin that you've been struggling with in your life. And your life in Christ in that place is a powerful place because you have the Holy Spirit. When sin is tempting you, the Gospels tell us this, the full Gospel is this, that the Holy Spirit in you has power over that sin and over death and you can have confidence walking on this earth that when you're tempted, like Jesus is tempted standing at 450 feet, you're gonna have the Holy Spirit reminding you of Scripture to have power over that thing the same way Jesus did. And you're going to have remembrance of scripture that's been spoken. And you're going to have the power then to overcome the enemy. Because in Christ you have so much. If you just let him in. If we would just make room this morning for this. That in our temple, that he could come in. No judgment, just correction. And move the stuff that's not of him, that doesn't line up with him. And he can come in and move it. And it's probably gonna hurt. There's no shame in being wrong. There's no shame in having sin in your life that you want to deal with. On the other side of it, there's a lot of power. That's a lot of freedom. So if you sin in your life today, the thing to do with it is to come before Him with no shame in front of your Father in heaven and just lay it out before Him and say, I'm sorry. And He responds with an embrace, a hug and love. And He corrects and He directs now your life. I would just say there's most of us in the room today that need to do this process with God we just invite him in to do some more work in our heart remove some things that are not of him and if not then maybe you're here this morning you're saying man it's the first time I've heard this story and I need to get my life right with God he did all that for me and I'm saying to you yes he did that for you and you do it again and again and again because he loves you that much today could be your new birthday where you lay down your old life and you get born again into this family, the family of God. And all it takes is confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, repenting of your sin and desiring to follow him with the rest of your life. Church, would you stand with me as we take a moment to contemplate Calvary? What Calvary really means for all of us today is that you and I have power over sin and death. 
I don't want anybody to leave here powerless. And so as we sing this, let's just make ourselves available for God to do a work. With every eye closed, every head bowed, I just want to pray real quick as we enter into this moment. Father God, I thank you for your amazing, 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 amazing love. Your grace, which is sufficient and extravagant. And we thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do, God. And I just pray your blessing over this moment. Let it be a holy moment for all of us. That we come back to you just as like children come back to their parent after a long time being away and they run in. God, I picture us this morning running in with faith. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Okay, can everyone hear me better now? All right, so what I just said was, uh, I learned something this week and I really felt the Spirit wanted me to share this with you all. So this week I heard someone talking um, about, uh, like, imagine, okay, just imagine with me this. So when we enter into the kingdom of heaven, um, how amazing that would be. And all the angels and the saints will be like singing, holy, 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 um, and how excited and um, how passionate and like unbelievably like amazing that will be. Um, and in that moment, like, can you imagine anyone being like, okay, everyone calm down, like you're being way too excited for Jesus. Like, that's not what it's gonna be like. Like, we should be so excited about what God has done for us. And um, I just want us to get excited um, as we finish in worship. Um, let's give God the like, glory and excitement he deserves for everything he's done for us. So I just want to invite everyone um, just to come to the feet of Jesus here at the front of the stage with me. And let's, let's get excited for Jesus, guys. Come on. Like, come up. Come join me. Let's do some praise. Let's do some